Amen. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good to see you on this Thanksgiving weekend Sunday. I trust that you've had a, a good Thanksgiving break. We want to welcome you. We want to welcome those listening online as well. Welcome home today. We are wrapping up a series today called Worship. We've been saying that worship is more than a song. And during this series, we've been talking about how worship is, is more than a song. It's actually really a lifestyle, a lifestyle of putting God first above everyone and everything every day. Worship is a lifestyle of putting God first above everyone and everything every day. We've been saying over the course of this series that we are worshipers by nature. In other words, it's not a question of do we worship. The question is just who or what do we worship? We are worshipers by nature. The question isn't do we worship. It's who or what do we worship? That's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And as a result of that, Jesus had a lot of things that he was trying to get across when it comes to this topic of worship. And I don't know if you've really thought about it, but the reality is, is that this series actually gives us quite a bit of insight to the purpose and meaning of life. If you haven't asked this question, at some point you will, and we all know somebody that's asked this question, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? In fact, I would just about bet on any given Sunday, we have visitors in every service, every Sunday, there's people coming in and they're not for sure what they think about God, but every one of us at some point at some time is asking the question, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? And this series really answers that question. We were made and created to worship God. And Jesus explains that to the woman at the well when we kicked off this series. And essentially, he defines who the true worshipers are. Jesus says, who are the true worshipers? Not just people who show up at a temple and and come to a church service. He said, they are those who worship in spirit and in truth. And as he's telling the woman at the well this, she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, look, you've had five husbands, and the person you're living with now is not your husband. And so in spirit, meaning your heart, he's saying your heart is not fully engaged. You've got some sin in your life, and as a result of that, it's impacting your worship. He not only did he say in spirit, but he said in truth. In other words, your mind's not properly informed. You think worship is about a place, instead of realizing that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place. You are the sanctuary. So Jesus says the true worshipers, they worship in spirit and they worship in truth. Paul told us two weeks ago that worshipers, once they worship in spirit and truth, they do something. Something happens, right? When Whitney and I started dating, you know, I got her phone number and I called her and she actually turned me down the first time I asked her out because she uh, told me she had to go home to her parents' house because it was their birthdays. And, you know, so I was persistent and I asked again and she's like, okay, I'll go out with you. I feel sorry for you. And so, you know, at some point, maybe she quit feeling sorry for me and, and it kind of just progressed to where we were you know, spending more time together and talking on the phone, which is something I don't like doing, but, you know, I was 
trying to find a wife. And so we start talking and then we go out on dates and, you know, and we have, we get married and you know what I'm saying? Like there's this progression. There's a progression that happens. And Paul's like, when you worship in spirit and truth, you don't just stay there. There's this progression and it causes you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Like it says in Romans 12, one and two. In other words, it's understanding that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that as you, you walk with God and you keep your temple clean, people can look at you and say, you know what, they are, there's something different about them. They're genuine. There's no angle. So the worship, worshipers do something. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week, Adam answered the question, okay, who are the true worshipers? And what do they do? And Adam asked, answered the question, why do we worship? And it's out of thankfulness and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. He's rescued us. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus rescued you and I because he died on a cross and was raised to life. We gather together in worship in places like this and hopefully every day for prayer with God and time with God. Why do we do it? Because we're thankful and we're grateful at, on, the, on the tip of our tongues and in our hearts and our mind when we're singing, oh, the never-ending, reckless love of God should be this gratitude and thankfulness that says, God, you rescued me. I'm thankful. And let me just say this today. This time of year, Adam talked about Advent kicking off. The other thing that, that kicks off this time of year is depression and anxiety Because this time of the year is when we have to be around family and people that maybe there's discord or we're reminded of someone we love that's not here. But despite however good or however bad or however boring or however awful your life is right now, no matter where you fall on that scale, Jesus is still worthy to be praised today because he's rescued us. Amen? That's what we talked about last week. And this morning, I want to talk to us about what hinders our worship, and the answer is pride. Technically, there's a lot of different things that can hinder our worship, but when you boil it all down, a lot of things fall into the category of pride. Pride is something that will hinder our worship, right? We, we teach our kids, I mean, from the moment they're born, they're, being, they're going to end up leaving the house. If, if that, I mean, that's the goal, right? Some of you are like, uh, tell them that. I mean, the goal is, is for us to train up our child in the way that they should go, and then they, they, they leave, and, and, and they, you know, they do their thing. And, and the goal of our lives is, is to, to, to learn obedience to our parents and to do the things that, that he's called, that we're supposed to do, and then that kind of reflects what we do, you know, with our boss and with the people that we're around, and more importantly, the Lord. But the reality is this morning we can't be what God wants us to be if there's something in our life that hinders it. And pride is a huge thing that can do that. You see, pride hinders our worship because it exalts the wrong person. Pride hinders our worship because it exalts the wrong person. 
I shared in the first service, sometimes when we think of pride, obviously we think of things like we're proud of our kids or we're proud of our accomplishments or we're proud of our country. And there's all those things that, that are healthy. You know, there's healthy pride. But then there's this pride that, that blocks and, and, and can even poison our worship and poison our temple. And pride is one of those things that does that. You know, there's even pride on the other scale where we think so lowly of ourselves that we have raised up our low self-esteem to the point where we're saying, you know what, I'm nothing. So what God says about me is not as big a deal as what I think about me and what other people have told me about me. And that, in some weird way, becomes pride that hinders our worship. And there's the other side of it, which is the more obvious side, where we're arrogant and we want what, what we want over what God wants in our life. This morning, this is not an entertaining message. This is a kind of a truth bomb message for all of us today. Pride hinders our worship. Because at the end of the day, what we're saying is what I want is more important than what God wants. We see this sometimes to give you a quick example. And this has happened to me before where God will prompt me, I want you to talk to this person. Lord, I don't, I don't really want to. Kyle, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. And God, I just don't know if I want to. You've done, had those things happen before where God's calling you to give more of an area of your life that you don't really want to give. Or God's calling you to talk to a family member that's on their deathbed about Jesus. And you know that you need to, but there's just something inside of you that just won't do it. Or maybe God is calling you to go to Columbus, but you don't really want to. Maybe God is calling you to to make a difference in your neighbor's life, but you're an introverted person and, and you don't know your neighbor that well. But for some reason, God won't let you stop thinking about him. But you just keep, you don't tell God yes, but you don't, you also, you don't tell him no. You just kind of don't do anything. Many times in those cases, that's pride. And it poisons our worship because here's what it does. It turns the volume down on God's voice in our life and in our heart. Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. James adds to that when he says, God opposes the proud, but gives what to the humble? Grace. God gives grace to the humble. So while pride kills or, you know, makes poisons our worship, humility, on the other hand, cultivates, grows, stirs up our worship because it exalts Jesus. And it doesn't poison our temple, it prepares our temple. Humility says, God, whatever your plans are for me, I accept them over my plans for me. John the Baptist, who was a a forerunner for Jesus in the New Testament, and, and John was someone who understood the difference between pride and humility. His life was about pointing to someone else rather than getting the credit. 
John was doing some great things for God and people were getting baptized and he was explaining to them, you know, you need to repent, you need to change your life. And, and they would do that and he would baptize them and he kind of started to get a gathering and Jesus shows up on the scene and some of John's followers start to notice that people are starting to follow after Jesus instead of John. And, and they kind of, you know, they're loyal, right? They're John the Baptist team. And they look at John and they say, hey, there's some people that are starting to follow after Jesus rather than, than you. What do you have to say about that? And John has this opportunity, this moment to kind of say, you know, I don't know why they're going to that church. They need to come to our church. I don't know why they're following after Jesus. They need to be following after me. I've been around longer on earth than he has been on earth in fleshly form. John doesn't do that. You yourselves know how I plainly have told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. Say it with me. I'm not the Messiah. Folks, you and I are not the Messiah of our life. We can't save ourselves. We can't save anyone else. We can't come up with what's best for us and what's best for other people. And here he has a following, not an Instagram following, but a following of people. They're looking him and elevating him. And he looks at them and says, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. I am only here to prepare the way for him. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Say it with me. I am only here to prepare the way for him. What would happen in our lives if we begin to lay our pride down and say, I am not the Messiah of my own life. I am only here to prepare the way for him. That is what worship is. He goes on to say, you know, the bridegroom is the one who's supposed to marry the bride not the best man. The best man is simply glad just to stand with him and hear his vows. And John says, listen, I am filled with joy at his success. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't value my life based on my success. Check this out, all right? I don't value my life based on my success, my incomes, my income, my wins, my losses, my victories, my degrees, my talents, my abilities. I value success based on if Jesus wins. And, and can I just say today, with, with so many of us sitting in here and so many family situations and, and, and job situations and struggles that we all have in our life, it's really easy, if we want to, to look around. I mean, Facebook and Instagram are kind of the highlight reels for the most part, right? We put vacation pictures on there. We put our kids on there. We put our grandkids on there. We put, you know, I posted a picture of Noah winning his wrestling match, but he didn't win every one of them. But the one you saw, he pinned the guy. There were some other wrestling matches besides that one. All right, don't tell Noah I said that, okay? 
We put, so we put the highlights on there, right? And we sin and we look around and we think that everybody's life is this highlight and it's easy for us to look at other people's life and be filled with pride and say, I want that. I wish I had that. I wish my husband would take me there. I wish my wife would take me there. I wish I could go to that church. I wish I could do that. I wish that they would be more like that person. Why can't my family cook that for me? And we fill up with this pride inside of ourselves. And what happens is we begin to say, I am filled with joy at my success and I don't have any success, so I'm filled with no joy. And John, he understands because his heart is fully engaged, because he doesn't have sin in his heart and his mind is properly informed or he wouldn't be saying things like this. And he says, I am filled with joy at his success. That's the only way that you can say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kinds. Because I'll be honest with you, when you're going through a trial, ain't nothing about that feels successful. And God says, I'm finishing. He who began a good work in me, I'm completing, I'm finishing. See, the goal of our life is not happiness. The goal of our life is not to have 2.5 kids to have X amount of income. John the Baptist explains to us what the goal of our life is. It's to point to God. Hey, disciples of John, go to him. I'm just here to prepare. Then he says, what's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. John looks at his peeps and he says, he must become greater. And I must become less and less. He must become greater. I mean, this is a guy who's baptizing people. This isn't somebody, you know, who's, who's looking at their life like I did when I came to Christ, you know, several years ago, and I was living a lie. I mean, every part of my life was fake. It's not like I'm coming to, you know, it's not like John was coming with all of his brokenness and saying, I need the big cleanup. John's saying, look, I've been baptizing. I've been doing all these things, but there's still too much of me. Even then he must continue to become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Let's read that. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less. Let me tell you, I don't know about you, but if I'm running my life, if I'm making the decisions for my life, if I'm letting my nature instead of God's nature show up, you don't like me. At the core of me, I am very selfish and prideful, ambitious in a not in a godly way. I'm insensitive. Ask my wife sometimes. But but when I lay my life down before God and I say, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And God's nature begins to show up. And people begin to see what God wants you to see. None of us are perfect. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us has a video that's not a highlight video. It's a video that we wouldn't want anybody to see. And we worship because he died so that no one has to see that video. We worship because Jesus throws that video away. 
And it's out of response that we say, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So normally when we give you a, today we've got one point I'm getting ready to give you. Normally, I try, we try to spin it in a positive way. But today, it's more of a negative tone because it, it's more powerful, I think. Here it is. Watch out for pride because it subtly changes who you worship, whom you worship. A while back, one of our kids got a hold of a Whitney used to scrapbook. And she had all these, I mean, she take, took pictures of everything. And so the kids are looking at all these pictures. And I'm like, man, I can just watch myself losing weight by just going backwards in this album. <laughs> and I did what some of us do. We say, how did that happen? Subtly. You don't notice it. Sometimes we remember at a time in our life where we were so close to God. I can tell you this for me. And we think, what happened? How did I drift from God? Because I know God, I mean, I believe God's word. For me anyway, I believe God's word is true. So when I'm not close to God, I don't blame God. I blame me because I know he never changes. He never moves. How did I drift? And when I begin to look through that, pride's always as a pattern in all of that. I begin to say, I don't want to say it out loud, but I begin to kind of to run my life like I'm the Messiah. I begin to run my life like I'm not just preparing the way for God. I am the way to what I want. So I want to give you one quick action step today, and it's not an overly, you know, wow statement, but if we would be consistent in what I'm getting ready to give you today, it would make all the difference in your life and in my life. And it's simply every single day, at least once a day, for you and I to pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. I'm going to give you what that scripture is in just a minute. But, but here's what I want to just say today. Sometimes you'll go to the doctor and they'll give you some medication. And it'll say, as needed. Say that with me. As needed. So there's some times in my life where I needed to pray this every 30 minutes. Because my attitude's not what it needs to be. Here's the prayer. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. The Bible tells us we can't even always trust our heart. When I coach one of Noah's teams in baseball, as much as I try to be objective, it's really hard to be. Sometimes I'm harder on Noah than I am everybody else. That means I'm not being objective. And we can't just say, God, I'm going to search my own heart and I'm going to know my own heart. You can't even always trust your own motives. The heart is deceitful above all things, Scripture tells us sometimes. 
God, you search my heart. You're objective and know my heart. Run it, run a scan on my heart. See if there's a virus and test me. Check it out. You have permission. Every room of my temple, the closets upstairs, the bathroom, what, what I watch on Netflix, what, what, what's on my, the history on my phone. God, you have permission in the conversations that no one's around. Lord, run a scan on the whole thing. And pride will say, don't do that. Just run a scan of this room or that room or, or, or check, check, check this part of my life that's public that everybody knows about, but not over here. It's dangerous to pray that. But if we want to be true worshipers of God, according to scripture, not Kyle. God, search my heart, oh God, and know my heart. And test me and know my anxious thoughts. And here's the tension, right? Don't just run the scan. Tell me what you get, what, what comes out. And point out anything that offends you. And God, the reason I want you to point that out is because I want you to lead me along the path of everlasting life, meaning the life that you've planned for my life, the plan and purposes that you have for my life. And when we stand together in a moment like this and groups of people start to pray these things, it changes this worship. Not everybody puts a hand in the air. Some of the most godly people I know, they don't put their hand up in the air. But their facial expressions say something as well. But when your heart's divided, right? When you've cheated on God in some way, it it, it just impacts. It's hard to fully engage when something's not right. So what if we began, just imagine this. What if we began to pray, Lord, search my heart and point out anything in my life? Well, what would happen is if we would pray that, you ready? He would tell you what it is. And here's where worship gets greater or worship gets less. I'm going to just be real clear all the way along here. When he tells you and I what it is, we have to decide if we're going to submit to what he said. We have to decide if we're going to let God cut it out of our life or if we're not. And our decision either turns the volume up on God's voice or turns it down. That's why we've got to watch out for pride because it's subtly Satan's not all at once right it's subtle because it subtly changes whom you worship let's stand together this morning he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less 
He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So here's the question as we move into a time of worship today. What, if anything, in your life do you need to surrender to God so your worship isn't hindered? Now, I said this in in last service. I'll say it here, and I'll say it in the next service. I'll say it to those listening online. Some of us, immediately when I ask that question, you are not going to ask that question. You literally are not going to. You're not open to what God wants to say. And that's basically what the whole sermon is about. Is and, and so that you don't feel alone, I've done that before too. The preacher preached the right things. All the right scriptures were said. The music was just right. There wasn't too much or not enough. It was per- everything was perfect. There was no reason why I couldn't respond. But for whatever reason, I already decided I wasn't going to do anything. So my pride blocked it. Just because there's so many in here, that's somebody. Don't take offense. But maybe there's somebody in here today. This is an opportunity for you to say, God, this is the thing that you keep talking to me about. And I'm going to choose to surrender it today. We've changed our worship format a little bit during this series. Some of you have been here know. We've got two songs at the end of the message. They're not for you to endure two songs. They're an opportunity for you to connect with the Lord. Maybe for some of us, it's the only time you've connected with God all week. Maybe the first song, just to give you a template here, maybe the first song is you saying, God, is there anything? And God says, yes, and you surrendering that to God. Maybe the second song is you praying for some of these prodigals. There's over 600, maybe 700 names on these prodigal boards of people that need to surrender something to God that need prayed for. Maybe you'd like to come and lift up some of these prayer cards. Some of these have some praises on them. There's one card that says the cancer is shrinking. Keep praying. Folks, as we point our life to God, he begins to allow us to point outward instead of inward, and we begin to pray. So folks, during this two-song set, take advantage of the time you have to make things right with God and pray to God on behalf of some other people. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Father, kill any pride in our life that keeps us from being what you want us to be. We lay our crowns at your feet today. In Jesus' name.